I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. You know, sometimes you'll hear of a person described as a hard worker. And what comes to mind when you think of a hard worker? Is it someone who doesn't give up easily? Someone who maybe arrives early or stays late? Someone who doesn't quit until the job is done? Maybe puts in blood, sweat, tears? A person who goes the extra mile? That sounds like a hard worker. Well, it's amazing because in in this final chapter of Romans, when Paul is speaking about people, he mentions two people he says are hard workers, specifically. There's other people he calls fellow workers, but here he calls them hard workers. And what we'll note today is that these two hard workers are women. Women. Normally, when you think of someone, maybe automatically, whose blood, sweat, and tears, you would think of a man laboring hard at a job. Well, here in this text, the hard workers are two women. It's amazing in this chapter, as we discussed, as we entered it, you know, Paul knows some of these people personally, and some of the people would just, he would know about. Sometimes the only thing we know about this very person is from this single verse in Romans. We may know nothing about about this person at all. They may not be found in scripture anywhere else, may not be found in the history books anywhere else, but we, we know them from this greeting that Paul is offering here at the end of the book of Romans. To this church at Rome, we know the first person in chapter 16, Phoebe, was the one who's thought to have delivered the letter going to Rome, and then the rest of the people are already there in Rome somewhere. And he amazingly describes them. He gives us kind of a picture into who they are, what they were like, or what they did, and kind of even how much he knew them or, or didn't know them, we can gather from how he says it in the text. Last week we looked at Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, who he called his fellow workers in the Lord Jesus. We discussed how they had the same trade and they uh, traveled with him on his missionary journey and they camped out in Rome. And uh, he says that there they had a church in their house, so they used their household uh, to host the the local church. But Paul loved Priscilla and Aquila because he, he says that they risked their necks for my life. These were people who were able to risk it all for the sake of serving others. And we looked at their lives as an example for us and asked, well, what risk do we take for the sake of others? And what risk do we take for gospel ministry? So Priscilla and Aquila were the ones that we looked at last week. And and verse 5 says about their their church and their house. I want to pick up at verse 5 in Romans chapter 16, where it says, Greet also the church in their house, that's Prisca and, and Aquila, and greet my beloved Apinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. And greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. And then down in verse 12, we see also, it says, Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa, and greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. So today we're going to look at three people. Before we get to the two hard workers, Mary and uh, Persis, we're going to look at uh, verse 5. It mentions this man called Apinatus. This is the only place in scripture that he is mentioned, but Paul knows him intimately. He knows him as a friend. He is called 
a beloved. There's only uh, a few people, four people total in this chapter that Paul refers to as his beloved or, or people who are beloved. So people he knows intimately. He's not just heard about them. He has a relationship with them. And so he has a relationship with this man called Apenetus. And here, amazingly, Paul mentions this man. He says, this was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Very likely this man, Apenetus, came to the Lord uh, under the ministry of Paul. Through Paul serving him, through Paul walking with him, through Paul preaching the good news to him. So Paul would have firsthand experienced this man uh, coming to faith in the Lord. Uh, seeing the light for the first time, having freedom of his soul for the very first time. He was dear to Paul. He was a beloved to Paul. He says, greet him. He was the first convert to Christ. And so it's interesting to think, even on that front, think about frontier missions. That's where, you know, people go into areas that have never, ever seen a missionary, never had a church, never heard, even heard the name of Christ. And, and people are going into these hard to reach places. Cannibalistic tribes. Tribes where people are, are ready with spears when they meet them. You've heard the story. We had Tim Watley come and visit our church, right? Where him and his brother jumped out of a helicopter into a tribe, greeted, surrounded by men with spears. That's the kind of people that we need in the world, willing to jump from choppers and never see their families again for the sake of the unheard, or sort of the, the unreached hearing and being reached with Christ. Paul, obviously, earlier it gives us that this is his heart. He mentions in chapter 15 that this is him, his ambition, his God-given ambition. There's something within him that he cannot contain, where he just needs to go. If he's heard of a place where they've never even heard of Jesus, where it's an untouched place, he says, I need to go. Even if I want to be here and I desire to be here and it's, it's going to be good to be in Rome, he says, I'm going to forego Rome so that Spain can hear. Spain's never yet heard of Christ. I need to go to Spain. Paul has such a heart for those who have not yet heard. And so here when he mentions the, this man, Epinetus, he just has like this overwhelming love for him. My beloved Epinetus, he, he was one of the first converts at the church in Asia. Imagine that. Imagine you living in a place where they've never, ever, ever heard of Christ. A stranger comes, tells you the good news. First, the bad news that you've offended God, and if you remain as you are, you will perish. But that there is a way, that there is grace, that there is hope, and it's not by you working, not by you fixing yourself up, but by you confessing and repenting, turning from that life and trusting in Christ. You hear this message and you think, this is crazy, but I'm compelled to none other but to confess my sins, admit that I have done this wrong, and I, I need to give myself fully over. And so that's what happened to this man, Apinetus, and one of the first in his area. And no one else had even embraced this. None of his family, none of his friends, no one he knew. Just these strangers who came, Paul, namely, who poured himself out. And we know Paul, as he traveled, he, as he worked as a tent maker sometimes, in order to get working side by side with people, to serve people practically. So we don't know how he served Apinetus. We don't know how long it Paul ministered to him before he uh, came to realize his need for Christ. What we know is he was one of the first converts, and that is a unique and special thing. There's some people that you may know who are one of the first converts in their family. It's an amazing thing. It's a joyous thing, but it's a, it's a hard thing because now they're in a foreign land and they're, they're almost a foreign citizen in their own family. 
Like, they are not like anyone else anymore. It doesn't matter if you share the same hobbies. It doesn't matter if you share the same DNA. You're not the same. You're so dramatically different. And so for a first convert in any situation, it is, it is challenging. But yet it is so joyous because, as you know, when people first come to faith in the Lord, what, what is their burning passion? I've been set free. I have been forgiven, not based on anything that I've done. I need others to experience this. So they tell others. So Epinetus, the, the church in Asia exploded. And yes, due in part to Paul's ministry there, but probably Epinetus' ministry as well. But here's the thing. Epinetus is traveling. He's now in Rome. He's probably, while he's in Asia, realizes, all right, I've, I've, I've told all my family, I've told all my friends, I've told all my neighbors, and, and I've seen churches planted, I've seen churches going, well, where else have they not heard? What, how can I do what Paul did for me? How can I do that for another? So somehow, we don't know, but Epinetus ended up in Rome, and he's there serving and working and, and uh, being a part of this church there. So Paul, uh, in sending this letter to Rome, says, greet him. Remind him of my love for him, and I've not forgotten him. That, think about that. Paul has met thousands upon thousands of people on his missionary journeys, and he remembers his name. He remembers his name, and I, I guarantee you, Epinetus remembered Paul. And not just because he was some super apostle, but because he took the time to tell him of the Lord. And so when we think about our own selves and like, you may have never had the experience of being able to walk someone to faith in Christ, to hold their hands as they, as they come to the cross for the first time. You may have never experienced that. But if you have, you'll remember their name forever. And they'll remember you. It's not about you being remembered. It's about you getting to participate in the joy. That's why Paul talked about his ambition in chapter 15. Participate even in praying for me as I go here. So then you can rejoice all over this person. And that's why I uh, constantly tell you uh, to be asking one another, who are you hoping to reach for Christ? So that I can pray with you, I can pray for you. So that you're just not, you know, you're maybe praying for your brother or you may be praying for uh, a neighbor. Well, let me join you in praying for that neighbor so that if by God's grace their eyes are open, I get to rejoice too because I've participated. And so that's why I constantly encourage you to be asking one another, who can I be praying for in your life that you want to reach for Christ so that we may rejoice together? Paul here is rejoicing as he remembers his brother Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. So he says, greet him, remind him, I love him, send my warmest to him. And he goes on to greet in verse six, Mary. Mary, now, as you know, in the Bible, there were a thousand Marys. You never know which Mary is which, especially when it comes to this Mary here in Rome. We don't know who she was. Was she married? Was she not married? Was she young or was she old? We don't know what she was like. Was she rich or poor? It does not matter. Paul shows us that none of those demographics mattered in the kingdom of God. What mattered was that she had worked hard for the church at Rome. It says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. She worked hard for the Christians in Rome. And then he goes on to talk about um, uh, Persis in verse 12. It says, Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. The beloved. Three translations. I, I compared five translations on this, and three of them said the beloved Persis, which would suggest she's beloved to all people who know her. 
And some say, you know, in NIV and I think uh, CSB mentioned that it's Paul's beloved. So he intimately um, uh, it was affectionate towards her as a friend. But either way, she was a beloved as well. So known to Paul, the beloved Persis, who also worked hard in the Lord. What's amazing is uh, the two examples. So Mary, it says she worked hard for you in the church. And Persis, it says she worked hard in the Lord. Does that mean Mary didn't work in the Lord? Of course not. Does it mean Persis did not work for the Romans? Of course not. It was all-encompassing. They were both hard workers. That was the point of Paul mentioning their greetings. And to us, it is a reminder of what we are to be. We are to be hard workers in the Lord. Whatever task God has given us, we are to do it heartily, with all of our might. Whatever he has called you to, we are to serve mightily. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So when you hear that, when you hear in Colossians 3, of someone working, uh, serving the Lord Christ, it doesn't just apply to those serving in some sort of church ministry role. It's not just those who have church work to do, pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. It's not just those who are serving the Lord. Is it just the missionaries who are serving the Lord and so who should work heartily as to the Lord? As Colossians 3 says, no. These people in Colossians 3 who were told to work heartily for the Lord were called in their calling to be wives and husbands and fathers and children and also slaves. Slaves who work involved cleaning and plowing and building and cooking and farming and sewing and mending. And they were told to work heartily for the Lord because they are serving the Lord Christ. The, the wives were serving the Lord. The children were serving the Lord. The slaves were serving the Lord. Let me read the entire passage for you in Colossians 3, 18 to 24. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive your inheritance as a reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So it involved wives there. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. Work heartily at that. Work heartily at that. Husbands, equally love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Work heartily at that because you are serving the Lord as you cherish your wife. As you put her first, you are serving the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This please, As children obey their parents, it is serving the Lord. It says, this pleases him. And then fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is something you ought to work heartily at. Work heartily at uh, 
not provoking your children, at encouraging your children. Work heartily at it. Do it as though you are serving God who made your children. Serve them. Work well for them. Work heartily for them. It says in the end, for you are serving the Lord Christ. So if your calling or your job or your lot in life is indeed from the Lord as it is, it's not just about a, a, a ministry position. It's not just about a career choice. It is where God has called you as husbands, as wives, as, as parents, as children. Where God has brought you to, you are called there and you are to work heartily there. You have been given work to do in a specific area. But the question is, how do you do it Christianly? Well, we follow after the example of Mary and Persis. We work hard. We work hard. Firstly, we do it with contentment. Because think about this for a moment. You might have a person who, you know, works hard with blood, sweat, and tears, stays late, you know, goes the extra mile, but they grumble and complain the entire time. Would you say that person's a hard worker? Probably not. You'd probably just tell them to suck it up or stop crying about it. You wouldn't commend them and be like, well, you're such a hard worker, as they grumble the entire day. For some reason, there's a, the, the heart matters when it comes to hard work. You wouldn't commend them as a hard worker if they grumbled the entire time. So Christian work, Christian hard work is one of contentment. To paraphrase a Puritan Cotton Mather, he says, a Christian should allow his occupation, uh, should, sorry, should follow his occupation with contentment. Contentment is no little part of your honor toward the God who has placed you where you are. Right? And that makes sense. If you are grumbling and complaining, you, what are you saying about God who put you there? God who gave you that job, who gave you those kids, who gave you that spouse. What are you saying about him if you're not content? Now, does that mean that wives ought to be a doormat? No. That husbands ought to be abusive? No. That children ought to be uh, whipped into shape? No. It doesn't mean that you just ought to be content whatever the circumstance, if you're being in an abusive relationship. No, but you ought to be content that, in trusting that God has you there for a reason. So then you're going to work heartily at your job, at your role, and do it so that it pleases the Lord. Because contentment is the mark of Christian or godly work. Are you content where you are? Are you able to serve the Lord with a glad heart? Or are you grumbling and complaining? Philippians chapter 2 says it for us. Do all things without grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The reason you're not to grumble or complain is because you realize that your attitude toward your situation preaches something about God. You either say, I don't trust that God has me here, or you say that God is not good in having me here. All your grumbling or complaining is ingratitude towards God. And so that's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, do all things without grumbling. Because grumbling preaches a false narrative of who God is, what he is like, that he can't be trusted that you need to find some other way because whatever God brought you to is clearly not the best for you. Now, don't you trust God has you where you should be? So do all things, work in all things without grumbling. 
how many people dread their calling. Maybe it's for a season. Maybe in a relationship, you're dreading your calling as a spouse. As a parent, parenting teenagers or toddlers, you're dreading your calling. As children who have harsh parents, dreading their calling. Maybe you dread a career or a job. Maybe some people who just get through the job just to pay the bills. Perhaps your current calling is a burden. And retirement, by the way, is not a calling. The, the American dream, the, the North American version of retirement is not a calling. We're never called to just serve ourselves. That's not a biblical calling. Um, it, retirement, technically, according to the Bible, is you shift from a paying vocation to an area you can serve others. That's retirement, biblically. There's no such thing as serve yourself now. So are you dreading your calling, though? Because that's the thing. Some people dread the idea of, like, well, I finished my, my day job to now just go serve other people. I, I dread that idea. I just want to serve myself at the end of my life. Well, don't dread your calling. In all things, do it without grumbling or complaining or disputing. Because our, you realize that your calling, whatever it is, has a purpose. Your work has a purpose. It's twofold. First is to glorify God, and second is to serve others. Your calling, whatever it is, as a wife, a husband, a parent, as a laborer of any sort, is twofold purpose. Glorify God, serve others. That's your calling. And that goes hand in hand with what Jesus said the greatest commandment is. What's, what's the greatest way that we can obey God? Jesus put it twofold. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love others. Glorify God, serve others. That's the purpose behind all of our work. Everything that God has brought us to is to glorify him and to serve others. And so that's what we ought to be doing. This isn't just an idea in the clouds. This is, should be the reality of our lives. This should be lived out in our calling and our work in our serving, that we should love God and that we should love others, that we should serve God and, and to be, um, mainly after his own glory and then after the service of others, making sure we put others first. It's the greatest command and it's not time stamped. It is not, it's got a box that you check and say complete. Oh, I have done it. I've loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I've loved my neighbor as myself. Complete. Now, let me just the rest of my life serve myself. It is no expiry. It is a joyous continuation of every breath until we die because the Lord has deserved it. Because when we serve others, when we glorify God, it is the fruit of gratitude for the grace of God. If we realize all that God has given us in Christ, all that we have in forgiveness, then gratitude overflows and it'll never come to an end. If your gratitude has stopped, you have stopped seeing the cross clearly. It is a overflow of gratitude that we would love God and serve others. If God has been gracious to you, to do what you could never do in the work finished at the cross, you could work your entire life trying to make up for the mess you've made. You could work your entire life trying to get away from the sin that you've committed, but it'll never happen. You could work, work, work the rest of your days, and it'll never clear you as guilt, as from your guilt. But Christ came and accomplished the work until he said, on the cross, it 
is finished. The work was accomplished. And so you trust in his finished work. And when you trust in his finished work, then you joyously are able to serve him because you're free. The chains are gone. The guilt, the bondage, the sin, the, the burden of working to try to please God, to try to make up for the wrong, it's gone. The chains are broken and so you now are free to serve him. You're free to live a life of gratitude. You're free to serve others so that they may live a life of gratitude. Isn't that what we want for someone else? That I might serve them so that I might work so hard for them to be able to allow them to be encouraged in the faith or to be brought to the faith. I want to be one who is described as a hard worker for the Lord because my work has purpose. It has purpose to glorify God and to serve others. It does indeed. Of course, it has a third purpose. Our work normally provides for us and our family. And that's part of serving others is where to provide Right? That's part of serving others. In 1 Timothy 5.8, a hard, a very hard verse says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his, his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If someone does not provide for his relatives, those who are around him, if he doesn't provide for them, he has denied the faith. And he is worse than an unbeliever. As in, You've just rejected the calling of God on your life. You have rejected what God has called you to do, to provide for others around you. Does that mean always financially that you have to provide for everyone around you financially? No. God might have gifted you with something else. Time, encouragement, whatever gifts he has given you, you are meant to use them for the sake of serving others. And so then if you don't do that, if you do not provide that for those around you, you're living a life of ingratitude. And it, it makes no sense that you believe the gospel. It's a hard task, but it's all about the willingness. Because in 2 Thessalonians 3, it says, for even when we we're with you, we gave you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For, and that's not willing. Doesn't mean if he can't work, but if he's not willing to work, don't let him eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy work, but busy bodies. You're moving a lot, but you're not actually working hard. It says, now such persons we command and we encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Be willing to work and work hard, not as a busybody doing circles like a chicken with your head cut off, making yourself look like you're busy. That's not actually a hard worker. That's just someone putting on a show. And as Colossians 3 said, it's like the person who is, uh, you know, doing what they do for a way of eye service. Because in Colossians 3, when it was talking to the bond servants, it says, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers. So don't do what you're doing just to show off to others or just to make it look like you're working really hard. Don't do it just to please other people. That's not why you do it. He says, you do it with work heartily with a sincere heart out of a fear for the Lord. I want to honor God, and so I'm going to work heartily. That's what it said in Colossians chapter 3. And remember, all work is serving the Lord. So, first off, we, the Christian hard work is one filled with contentment. Secondly, it has purpose. And lastly, it has a, uh, uh, sorry, it has perseverance. 
Christian work has perseverance. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. I'm going to read those verses again because they're so vital to what it means for us in all of our callings, in every situation that God has brought us to, it is so important to help us describe what is hard work as we ought to be doing. It says, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. Don't give up. Christian work is marked by perseverance. It's marked by going that extra mile for people, for God. One of the hardest workers you could ever know is the Apostle Paul. You look at his life and you think that, and yet he never asked for praise. He never grumbled or complained. That's what makes him a hard worker. And here he's commending two hard workers he knows in Rome. And they're women, Mary and Persis. He says, they worked, Mary worked hard for you. And Persis worked hard in the Lord. We don't know how they served. We don't know what tasks they did, what roles they had. If they stayed up late or they went in early, we don't know. What we know is that they worked hard. They had a purpose behind their work. And, and they, they did it with all of their hearts. They worked heartily as to the Lord. They, they saw what God had brought them to, whatever task they had been given, and they did it with all diligence because that honored God. Didn't matter if someone gave them praise. Didn't matter if, if, if anyone patted them on the back. They worked heartily because it was for God. Whatever your job may be, scrubbing toilets or something up front, serving your kids, serving your neighbors, do it heartily. In Proverbs 14.23, it says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In all toil there is profit. When you, uh, you will reap what you sow, what you put in is what we will get out. And so that applies both physically, but also spiritually. What are you sowing into? Are you doing a hard labor? Are you toiling over people's soul? You know that also the Apostle Paul toiled this way too. He didn't just... Uh, huff it across Asia and, uh, and, and Europe. He didn't just toil physically. He didn't just work hard physically. Paul worked hard spiritually. He agonized over the lost. He preached the gospel agonizingly in difficult places, ending up in prison. There was toil and there was also profit. And so the question is, do we toil to see the profit? Not for us, not so that we may be patted on the back or we may feel good about ourselves, those things come, but it's not why we do it. We do it to glorify God and to serve others. We do it for him because we want others to be able to come to see how gracious and how generous God is so we are generous with all that we have. We work hard as our beloved sisters Mary and Persis did. If someone was to write a, church, write a letter to, to, to us, would they say, greet so-and-so who worked hard? for you. Greet so-and-so who worked hard in the Lord. May we be those who work hard. And it not, doesn't necessarily mean physically. 
spiritually, emotionally, generously? Are we working hard with perseverance, with purpose, but with contentment? Are we doing it realizing that everything we've been given is a task from the Lord and we should do it as we serve him alone? Let me pray for us. Father, you are so deserving of uh, everything that you've given us. All the energy, all the resources that we have are from you and they're for you and for your glory. And so we just pray that you would use us in uh, our neighborhoods, use us in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces, that you would use us to encourage others, to serve others, to give of ourselves for the sake of others so that you may be honored and glorified, so that we may shine as lights in the darkness, so they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. God, we want to be that for you. We thank you for the example of Mary and Persis. Thank you that Paul recognized them and, and, and recalled that they are hard workers in the Lord. And may we be hard workers in the Lord too. Not as people pleasers, but as God pleasers. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.